Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast, episode 51. We're going to talk about heuristics with Britt, who is a colleague of mine. So thank you for being here. Yes. You're so cool. Um, <laughs> you raced over here from recording Crash Course Psych. Psycho Psych, yeah. Psycho yes. You know Crash what's Course really fun? Psych is over. Psycho Psych, yep. YouTube.com slash Psycho Psych and subscribe. <laughs> That's the worst line, I think, in this building. Space probably has that, too. Oh. Tough times. And there I was feeling sorry for myself. YouTube.com slash sexplanations. That's nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's something. We're, ours are monosyllabic hell, but, you know, you've got a polysyllabic craziness. So, Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. go you. You're awesome. You're all sorts of awesome. So here's what I was thinking, because I've, I'm slightly aware of all the things that you do, but not totally. And I, I also think that you're way more articulate and aware of what's going on in your world. So I was hoping that you could do a presentation of yourself in third person oh, yeah. as an introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is funny. So uh, one of the things that Britt Garner really loves doing is community <laughs> theater. And when she does that, she has to write bios that go in third person. Uh, and she has really uh, topped herself on some of the absurdity uh, entailed. <laughs> so uh, she's well versed in this and it's not totally crazy. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> Um, she is currently a PhD student uh, at the University of Montana working on wildlife biology. She is from Florida, so she's very far from home, but mm -hmm. has fallen in love with the beauty that Montana is, even though it's away from the ocean. Um, and she does specifically within her research looking at um, larger trends of data with wildlife and international conservation. So kind of applying like business models and analytics, but to how many species there are and are they declining and what's happening on an international scale. So wow. in general, she loves teaching, performing and science and is like completely lucky enough to be in this building with these people that let her do that, which is great. Wow. She sounds so cool. <laughs> Let's have her on the Sexplanations podcast. Yes. Because <laughs> here at Complexly, you're doing SciShow Psych. Mm -hmm. Did you do Crash Course Psych? No, no, I didn't. I Who did Crash Course Psych? I have no idea and didn't even know it was a <laughs> <Shit>. thing. <laughs> so this this is actually Oops. perfect for sex relations. Do you want to know? This actually might be the bridge. And I don't think, I don't know if people know this, how I'm actually with this company mm -hmm. was Rocky Horror, not this past year, but the previous year, I was playing Janet and Reed, who hosts SciShow Space, um, was not only um, helping produce it, but was playing Frankenfurter. And we decided that year that we would do uh, green screen, like, videos of things like the shadow play sex scenes. And so Reed just casually says, well, this place I work that does, like, these video stuff, whatever, on YouTube has a green screen. And this person named Caitlin is willing to, like, meet us mm -hmm. and film. So literally my first time in this building was on a casual Wednesday evening when I came in to pretend to be having sex with friends in that green screen room to then play for a thousand people for Rocky Horror and literally did not know where I was. That's amazing. <laughs> so I'm actually here in this job because of fake sex. So, I mean, look, there's yeah. connections about. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I actually didn't know anything about SciShow or Crash Course just because I don't really do um, media or internet stuff. It's just kind of not ever been on my radar. Like I don't watch YouTube, whereas my younger sister does. And she knew like 
all of the things. Um, and it's just, I don't know, like I just didn't know about it. And I just kept asking. I was like, okay, Caitlin, your name's Caitlin. I see like, I was like, I feel like I've walked into my heaven. There's like Jurassic Park over there. There's like a stuffed anglerfish. I don't know what that's about. I see you like, <laughs> I was just looking around and Caitlin's like, we're going to follow up. And then SciShow Psych became the one that Patreons chose to be the new channel. And then I came on for that. And then recently we've started a new channel, Nature League, where I'm talking about my biological fun and yeah. that realm, which is cool. So I'm just, I'm, I'm a happy girl. I'm very thankful. <laughs> yeah, so many branches here. So SciShow Prime is the big one that lots of people have probably heard of. And then there was SciShow Kids and SciShow Space. Space. Mm-hmm. There are. They exist. Yep. And then you guys brought on SciShow Psych and you're the host of that. Exactly. And then there's uh, like a sibling set of productions that include Sexplanations, A Financial Diet, Animal Wonders Montana, and now Nature League. Yes, the quartet is complete. It's so fun. Okay, I totally, I feel weird not knowing who did say show Crash Course, even though, you know, neither of us have anything to do with them directly. I still, I, I'm, I, I actually know didn't their know there. It must have been really short, though, for the Patreon patrons to vote that they wanted a channel dedicated to psych because I feel like if there'd been a super extensive, very long crash course psych that maybe that wouldn't have been, but that's just a guess. Oh, or alternatively, they liked it it so much. They're like, give me more. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm pulling up an episode here. Sorry to uh, Nicole and Nick and the whole crash course team. And we're not talking about sex at all. I just want to (laughs) know, know about crash course today. And why isn't it saying who the, you know, people are listening to this right now and they all know it is in their brains. So we're, we'll just let you adventure out into the world. Stay curious and find out what awesome person did psych. They were probably lovely. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know each other. That's a good start. And scene. <laughs> That's so great. Um, I thought it would be really cool to have you for this episode specifically because heuristics are kind of a shortcut and as a theater person I'm guessing you have to use them a lot to figure out lines totally and as a host the same thing I mean both of us use teleprompters but I have heard that you are astounding at them and so maybe you have like (laughs) some heuristics some tricks around that and then with you know being in a PhD program there's a lot of information to hold on to and yeah, and you're I, psych. You're you studied psych, but you are a SciShow psych, and so it's a psychology concept. Let's throw that piece in there too. Totally. Let's talk about all of the things, and they all use heuristics. And here's why: is because the brain is outrageous. It's completely and absolutely fundamentally outrageous, and because it is outrageous, it needs help. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that. Another thing I think about is specifically with learning and teaching and the way that um, metaphor and analogy can be so unbelievably helpful. All right, I'm meta meta metaphoring right now. I'm using metaphor as an example of a heuristic for teaching. Wow. Meta metaphor. So, like when you are trying to teach something, you might use a metaphor. And so it's not exactly precisely correct. Like I might've called the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. Like it's not 
a powerhouse. There is no wood. Like there is not a little house inside of this cell. Mm -hmm. So it's not completely accurate, but it allows the picture and then the information to form and have a concrete place in the learner's head. So I think that like I run into heuristics mainly with teaching because of using heuristic tools like analogy or metaphor. And not that those are like specifically heuristics, but they are ways that we get at the truth, but not in the full picture, you know, kind of a way. Yeah. uh, I think mnemonics are a little different. I don't know. So like learning lines is a fascinating thing because for me, that's more of an anchor process. So if you give yourself an anchor point, it's the same reason why we teach A, B, C, D, E, F, G. There's Mm -hmm. ba, 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 ba. And that is an anchor point for our brains to put those letters onto to glue on. And so when you learn lines, it's way easier if you learn them when you're doing blocking because then you can anchor point on, I'm downstage left next to that pillar when I say the thing about beef, right? <laughs> yeah. what, like whatever it is yeah. that connects, you're giving these anchor points. And I think that's more like the psychology of learning and memory, maybe more than heuristics, but it all kind of goes together when we have so much going on up in our heads. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, and I think that a lot of that serves us. In the episode we did on Sex Explanation's YouTube channel about heuristics, it does also go into how it doesn't serve us and it really harms us to mm-hmm. think like, oh, pretty person must not have sexually transmitted infections. Right. I can have unprotected sex with them. And so, and I watched it this morning and <laughs> I... Loved it, first of all. It was just awesome. Thank you. But what I really liked was this idea, because we see this, I'm like, I'm so hot for data. Data, <laughs> data is data is my my foreplay <laughs> with, with life. Um, so like I use big data analytics for my stuff, and, and I just love numbers. But what I really love is the stories they tell and the stories they don't tell. And so how things can get really um, lumped in incorrectly sometimes. So like, I love the idea of this. Uh, It's a kind of like a correlation association bias where we say pretty person equals this, equals Mm -hmm. this, equals this. But if you break it down into computer code, like there's a couple not equals signs that are there. And when you don't see the code explicitly or know why the code exists, you're sitting there with a black box of code and just doing something, (laughs) which can then especially in terms of things that are happening with sexuality or interpersonal like connections mm-hmm. can be really harmful. Um, but it all comes from, I think, assumption. And assumption is a fascinating thing that comes from learning. Because we can even have artificial intelligence do things like assumption now mm-hmm. based on training sets and things like uh, machine learning where you are giving a training set and kind of giving a bunch of examples of yeses and nos and yes, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, 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 yes. <laughs> History of the world, part one, Mel Brooks joke. Okay, <laughs> it's fine. Um, but then you then get closer and closer to the truth with this nice little algorithm until you are then predicting which target ads to put on Facebook, et cetera, right? Right. But assumption, I think, is everything there. And the best way to combat assumption is by data and in the bedroom, data is like communication, right? (laughs) I feel like in the bedroom, in the workplace, in the life, in life, you can get past assumption with communication. I think that was what I really liked about your video, kind of saying like, no, ask. What, what, ask. (laughs) You're giving me the chills. It feels so good. Oh. Yeah, that's like, that's amazing. (laughs) But I think it's true because like we aren't computers. Like we don't, have the code in front of us. And so how do you even get to truth without 
especially when it's a two person or three person or whatever situation, like you, communication is the branching of that computer code so that you're not relying on that machine learning, which can sometimes get it wrong, right? There's always exceptions. Humans are beautiful because of exceptions. Animals, everything on earth has exceptions and that's way cool. But it means that we have to check ourselves, you know? And I think that video did a great job of like explicit examples of that. It was cool. Brad, I like the way you think. <laughs> it's wild up here. <laughs> I know this isn't on video, so I'm pointing at my temporal lobe. <laughs> Are you learning anything in your PhD program about sex? Um, I am not explicitly, though um, some of my background, like my whole master's degree was doing conservation genetics. And so to me, sex is like, I'm thinking about genes and gene flow and populations and how life on earth keeps making more life on earth, right? And that's like a very utilitarian biological view of it, right? Mm -hmm. But because of that, like when you do biology or look at evolutionary biology, sex means something so different than that interpersonal experience that is not related to just making more human, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is really cool, but not necessarily what we what we discuss. Um, I do, however, ha have had the pleasure of working with um, cetaceans, so whales and dolphins. And so... Wait, what are they called? Cetaceans. So cetacea is like the just larger kind of group. So with taxonomy, when we name things and sort things, uh, whales and dolphins are in a larger group called cetacea. So How we call them uh, C-E-T-A-C-E-A-N. There you go. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So cetaceans. Um, so cetus, I think, is the name of the whale constellation. So it's a old, it's an old word breakdown. Okay. I, I love it. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. So like, I would say the closest I've had to actual sex plus things that I've worked on, like wildlife populations, would be working with cetaceans, whales, and dolphins who just like have sex a lot. And it's not to make more whales and dolphins. Um, it's part of social behavior, and it's just kind of a piece of that. Um, we also learn really neat things about genes and what can now uh, happen with epigenetics, ways that environment and things that we do can then affect our egg and sperm cells. And that's really totally mind-blowing and fascinating. Yeah. Um, I just started learning about it. It's, oh, I'm crazy about it. I'm writing a term paper on it right now for a philosophy class that we'll see how that goes. It might crash and burn, but it might be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. But I think that that's kind of neat in terms of almost like this this load that we bear with our sex cells, with egg and sperm, and like what that literally means in future generations, again, assuming procreation. But that's as close as as sex as I've gotten um, in terms of my own research. It comes down to that kind of gene flow and the way that species persist on Earth. Wow, so cool. Okay, so then, now I have a whole bunch of questions. Sweet. Uh, whales and dolphins having recreational sex, is it rapey? So I would say yes and no. I also, I'll do like a big caveat, which I find very important. Um, I can't, as a human, know truly what is occurring for yeah. another species that I can't directly speak to. So I don't want to be a ventriloquist for like what's happening. That's a thing that I think biologists sometimes run into a little bit of icky space where you yeah. start saying, oh, well, the dolphins are exhibiting blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, you can say what they are doing, but then you kind of start making assumptions that have a human um, kind of filter on it. 
And that's okay. We are humans. That's the only filter we know. Heuristics. <laughs> exactly. So I will say that I can't fairly say like, yes, that was rape for those two dolphin individuals because for all I know, they clickety clacked back at each mm-hmm. other and were like, I'm good, consent. And yeah. they're like, ah, right? Like consent. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't speak that language. Um, yeah. But in general, behaviorally, yes, you see situations where uh, maybe one individual is initiating and the recipient is not returning. And there's also a lot of group sex with dolphins and all kinds of um, different things that it's funny when you're watching because they'll do it in the middle sometimes when they're feeding and it's like, okay, are they feeding or fucking? Feeding or fucking was like (laughs) the name of that research project. I'm sorry. I don't know if we're allowed to use language. Of course. Yeah. Yes. So it was definitely like the research project of that summer, feeding or fucking. Like what are they doing? Because it's gathering and there's quickness and there's group and all that. So I think that consent is funny. Um, This totally reminds me of professor was talking about vegetarianism and kind of speaking to biologists about that and like biologists or people who do eat meat will say well look like I have these sharp teeth I have pointy teeth like this is part of what's natural for me to eat our Mm -hmm. plants and animals and then she was mentioning yes but like you can do better because you could say human chromosomal males what's natural is for them to go and inseminate as many women as possible, right? That is what is natural, but we can do better. We can have things like consent and back forth. And that was fascinating. That like kind of fucked with me a little bit. I was like, oh shit. Just because it is quote natural or physiological doesn't mean that it's right. Mm -hmm. And so there's this other layer of ethics and morality that comes on top of, of those other issues, which that kind of reminded me of like, ah, fair enough. Like checkmate. Yep. (laughs) Guess you have a good point there. Yeah. So I think like the coolest thing to me as someone who has studied evolution is humans and sex and how many things that word can mean. And then as heuristics, like not only are we having 20 different things that sex could mean between two humans, right? You then have like the nonverbal and then you have the verbal and then you have like all different forms of communication that can be misconstrued and assumptions Mm -hmm. and trying to navigate that space is like crazy town um Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know (laughs) which I'm sure is what a lot of probably um I don't know specifically what a clinical work you've done I know that you were a practicing right sex therapist so was that work with couples or Yeah, yeah yeah so I'm sure that a lot of the problems you'd see probably stem from navigating that that space of assumptions right oh totally undoing heuristics yeah like totally oh yeah you think that because you're at this age sex is supposed to look like this or you think that because you're partnered in this way this is like what position works best and that's because the mind like you said it just wants to create those paths Mm -hmm. that are the shortest distance between two points when they're not always the safest or smartest ways to go. Totally. You're like, hmm, I could turn left on this one-way right street because I would definitely get there faster. I might die, but I'll get there faster. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, and it's all happening on, like, the millisecond scale, too, which is outrageous. So. Yeah. It, I mean, and uh, it is so hard because I use heuristics all the time. In my own sex life and then in life at large. Sure. Um, just like when we're, I was trying to figure out who the other host was. I mean, it's like crash course, psych, go to the description. It should be there. That's what the 
heuristic in my mind tells me, but it wasn't working. Um, yeah, the assumption had yeah. a not equal sign somewhere in there, but you can't yeah. see it. It's in yeah. that black box like space. Yeah. No, it's it's so tricky. And I don't know then as a, a guide for other people how to help others balance that to say, yes, this is really important. This is really helpful. Like mm-hmm. if you have a heuristic in your mind that says, whoop, if something feels wet on your penis that is supposed to be covered by a condom, it may have broken. Um, So, okay, that's a positive effect of a heuristic. But the supposed um, (laughs) to is the dangerous part because literally that word is saying I am supposing, not I know or not it is true that I suppose, right? It's supposed to. And that's when assumption winds up, yeah, you get in trouble. Mm. Such a mess. Uh, in your own life, are there ways that heuristics have helped you and harmed you? Oh, a- absolutely. Again, it's like that machine learning where you think you've really nailed down the yeses and nos to get to that answer in each case. And then something just absolutely knocks you on your ass and is completely different than what you expected. Um, I see that in teaching a lot. So I, I get to teach courses at the university just as a graduate student, but I also tutor on the side and and absolutely love, um, love, love, love teaching and things that you feel like you've really figured out a learning style or like a way to teach this thing mm-hmm. um, just does not work for someone. And then you have to like recreate from scratch. And as you try that recreation of like, oh my God, they long division is not going to work. This, this doesn't work. Like the way I thought I was going to teach this does not work. What do I do now? Help. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you start thinking about taking the wrong direction of the one-way street. And and it's kind of at that point, then it becomes communication. <laughs> like, like, oh, would blocks help? Like, would you like to see this? Is it something that you want to watch me do it? Or do you want to, you know, is this tactile? Like, what do you need? So honestly, like teacher with student, it is once you get to that level of like, you are both peers, right? Because at that point, I'm not teaching, they're not learning. We're trying mm-hmm. to figure out like how to navigate that space. So that's like probably the closest to say like, um, you know, a partnership or like a sexual using heuristics back forth kind of a thing that I've experienced and I experience almost daily. Just you think it's going to work and it's worked for every other kid. And again, you get that exception. Um, and so if you tell yourself that there aren't exceptions and that this works, you definitely are going to have your ass kicked, like either by yourself or someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think also about assumptions of um, people. I actually have a great story of a disaster assumption. So this is great. And this is like classic. <laughs> a great and luckily, story about a disaster. <laughs> it's true. It's true. because Well, it was it, disaster. Disaster was, hi- was hyperbolic, <laughs> to be fair. Um, and luckily, I learned it early enough in life that's really stuck with me. Um, when I was in undergraduate school down in Florida, I was really crazy into jazz and I sang with a jazz group at this local restaurant like every Monday and Thursday for like three years. I mean, I just loved it. And it was named the Marty LaCourie Jazz Tut. And if by a crazy chance Marty is listening right now, he will laugh at this because he knows about this. (laughs) So the Marty LaCroix jazz said, I'm just like, okay, whatever. So Marty, I'm like, all right, so he's probably like the main guy. Marty's just like this kind of mediocre, shitty guitar player who's like... (laughs) And I like literally do not know why this jazz Ted is named after him, but I'm just like leaving it alone. I just, whatever. Like the heuristic in my mind is like, you name it after the star and they're the best. Like, again, I made some jumps in the logic. Like, 
as as I went. And so I'm like working with these people for like, you know, two and a half years. In that final year, um, just one of the people who was having dinner and I was kind of chatting next to it, they're like, isn't it just amazing? And it's just so crazy to see Marty doing something like playing jazz guitar. And I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> like, you know, just because of his, his like running background. I was like, mm, yeah, that is crazy. Thinking to myself, holy shit, time for Google. <laughs> something <laughs> like this, something, something. I get home and I'm just like, Marty LaCorey, and I'm just like, God damn it. He is an Olympian. He was one of the first high schoolers or the first runners to go under, break the four-minute mile, him and Jim Ryan, like back in the days of like literally the establishment of running for the mile and was like U.S. Olympian, has his own like, I don't know, does something with like shoe brands and literally just like retired to Gainesville, Florida, where UF is got cancer, almost died, and said, you know what I've always loved to do? I've always wanted to play guitar, so I'm just going to teach myself guitar now that I'm, like, going to live. And here I am, this jackass 19-year-old, being like, (laughs) why is the jazz named after that shitty guitarist? (laughs) And, like, I kicked my own ass. Like, I had made some jumps and assumptions and associations that— wound up not being true and luckily I was never unkind I just always thought to myself like he is not very good at guitar and I don't know why this is named after him but of course it's because if people knew his name I was just too young to like know about his accolades and then it was just kind of interesting it was like this little seed planted for me that like you never know someone's story you don't like you literally don't even if you speak the same language and interact twice a week like you still don't unless you ask or you're told and it's the same with like animal and behavior and things it's like I can't know like you never know what someone has like what's what's there unless uh, that conversation happens and so Google helped me have that conversation with myself and I am really careful now about I just assume everyone has some insane background Mm -hmm. now because like even if they don't whatever you're saying like there's the possibility that you've done something amazing or that you've had something horrible happen. And like, I just kind of try to keep like both of those options open every time I meet someone. So I never again have that like dumbass assumption be so like wrong and just stupid. <laughs> but luckily that happened at like 1920 instead of in my 40s, you know. So. What a beautiful <laughs> lesson. Good old Marty LaCorey, the shitty guitarist <laughs> like, <laughs> who was actually an Olympian and one of the best runners in the history of humans. So there you go. Thanks, Marty. <laughs> wow. I love it. I mean, I don't have uh, a story that's as full of uh, action, but um, I definitely had my moment where I had been teaching at the university for a long time. And uh, I think I just attracted students who were visual oh, sure. learners because it, I would do PowerPoints and I would do totally. demonstrations and I was very animated with my face. And so it never occurred to me that people were learning in ways outside of that as their primary style until I was doing some sort of get together, right? And um, one of the the people who usually attended events, the sexual health events, brought her partner and I was doing a bondage demonstration and I would always do this uh, visually and kinesthetically. Like, Mm -hmm. here's the rope. I hold the rope. Now you make two loops. And I, I was showing it all with my hands and and using descriptors, but they were all visual descriptors. Like, right. now you're going to make a MasterCard sign with it. And the person who was learning from me, my my friend's 
partner who was outside the community, but very intrigued, could not get it. And I was like, you are brilliant. You, you've written things. You've started your own company. You're a wicked smart person. How is this? What is happening? And so finally I realized, right, that I had been using this assumption with everyone that like, oh, of course, since 1,000 people have followed me in this way, everybody should be able to. Right. And I just took the rope out of his hands. I, like, dropped it on the ground, did the same with mine, and tried to turn off the visual and kinesthetic parts of my my brain and just said, okay, and uh, spoke the direction cool. completely with words. It's all verbal, right? I'm not even going to use my face to tell you yes or no. And he picked up the rope and did it flawlessly. Amazing. <laughs> what? Amazing. Yeah. Well, and that reminds you that you also never know if someone's sight limited or hearing limited. Mm-hmm. Like someone's not going to look deaf. I mean, there are certain disorders that maybe there's something yeah. externally that maybe is related and maybe they have deafness as a result. But like in general, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those moments in life are really, are really beautiful, but they are that wonderful reminder of like, little bit of humility and also just that, yeah, that computer code is not totally visible. So we do our best until our best doesn't quite fit and then we readjust and we kind of make it work. But again, only with communication. I, I don't know how else you you beat the heuristic, you know, assumption downfall. I just don't know another way. Yeah, I I don't either. So if somebody is doing a PhD in that research, please let us know what your Ooh, conclusions yes. and discussion are. Because I I think we could all use a little help there. I get a dose of humility like every minute. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally me too. Yep. Here it is again. There it is again. And just again, over and over, right? Just tripping on myself because I think something about a person for sure. I remember... Uh, having a student in my class who was deaf. So there were people signing at the front of the classroom and I was like, oh, this is going to be great, right? Because I'm not only teaching you about human sexuality, you can learn ASL sex language at the same time. And so I go, I think I'm saying words and repeating them so that the ASL person is signing over and over and not realizing, one, this is totally disrespectful because that is not their job. And two, it's focusing on this person's learning style rather than just doing my job as an instructor. But three, there is a point at which I brought up the sign for intercourse and how the hand on the bottom stays motionless while the hand on the top kind of does that thrusting movement. And I was criticizing ASL to say, like, look, at you guys think that the person on the bottom is passive and then they just get fucked and, like, lie there and had to do a check on my own English to say, like, how many words do we have that are offensive in those kind of ways that were were just created because we're doing the best we can to communicate? Oh, my God. (laughs) That example, sign language is a beautiful example of of heuristic and like you get pretty damn close so my best friend's mom was deaf and so I I do okay um with sign language I'm not as practiced as I was in like high school you know around a lot but I do okay enough to kind of think through what the difference is and I remember being on this is how long ago it was AOL instant messenger (laughs) oh my god TM (laughs) being on like I am with her mom and so in a typing format, um, someone who knows ASL, it, 
some people that just know ASL and use it communicatively. What the hell is the <laughs> adverb for that? Uh, we're, we're sticking with it. We're yep, going yep, for go. it. Um, there's just missing things like tenses and grammar. And so it's not oh. quite right. It would be like, how is school yesterday? Right? Because the is and the was, like, there's just heuristically, like, it's a little bit inefficient mm-hmm. to dick around with with tenses and, and verb clauses yeah. when, again, you are limited to hands, which maybe can't make as many things or differentiations as quickly as, say, a f- completely formally written mm-hmm. out grammared language that we can do with our tongue and our mouth and our lips and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so however or why ever it happened, you know, ASL isn't, you know, point perfect in terms of like if you translated it into another right. medium, but it does its job. And I think that every language is that same way. Like English, English is a total mess, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, we have exceptions everywhere. So like we do our best and we have mnemonics and even then, like you're saying, these words also fail sometimes when you have connotation. And like mm-hmm. if that weight of the word is is more hateful than you even knew or like more discriminatory. And so even a fully developed all the syntax, all the tenses, all the grammar still fails at nuance of certain yeah. things, you know. Yeah. So like I remember that conversation with her mom so vividly because it was so fascinating to me that this is a like – completely like absolutely developmentally good to go come versus with this language this is how they Mm -hmm. talk and it's fine and yet to me it was like broken English and and like I was trying to compare the two and first of all you just can't but second of all it's like that is the way that they have learned to navigate the space the same way that us with American English we've learned to navigate the space by Dropping the U when we spell favorite or whatever, yeah, you yeah. know, like. So strange, people. <laughs> this episode is all about our failures. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Me too. I'm totally okay with that. I think I think we're teachers. We're like, please fail more because you'll learn more and it's great. <laughs> oh my gosh. So earlier when you were telling your story about getting to a point of being kind of peers with your students because that's where you learn. And I, I think part of that is because you have the communication that gets you to the point where then it's, oh, okay, I I know enough to now use the heuristics. But I was thinking about banking system versus problem posing, posing style pedagogy, pedagogy. Oh, have you pedagogy, studied, yeah, yeah. Have you studied that at all? Um, not formally. I just know it much more colloquially. So maybe if you explain what those are, I'll know them, but I don't know they're like yeah, yeah. Formal names. I mean, I haven't studied it a ton, but I remember that very much being my experience when I got to grad school is that it switched from a banking style education system where the students are like receptacles and the educators oh, are sure. measured and valued by how much they fill them. Sure, and sure. then the students are measured by how much they retain. Right? Like I quiz you, you get an right. A or you fail or whatever. And then in grad school, it shifted to a very um, awesome alternative, which is the problem posing style where really we all become teachers and we all become learners. Yeah. And I think that on both of our channels and, and you do many more um, education platforms than that, that we are trying to be problem posing educators. Oh yes, please. Right. And I think that's the coolest thing about having videos like teaching in the, in a style that you get the interaction like the with comments. comments. <laughs> so good. I know. And it's so funny. This is like one of the biggest disagreements I've had with um 
with good friends or, or people now that I, I'm doing this and I'll bring up um, something fascinating that I saw in the comment section. They're like, oh my God, Britt, do not read the comment section. I'm like, why? Like, first of all, if you act, sing, dance, any of that, like you've been told shit to your face. <laughs> oh no. In real time, they're like, that looked terrible. Try again. Like it's so like thick skin for criticism, like check. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, if God. you perform, you are opening yourself to that in a good way. Like mm -hmm. I find it constructive. I'm like, please tell me so I can make this look better. I don't want to look like shit doing that dance move on stage <laughs> in front of people. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You know, it's like a tough love criticism thing. So first of all, like I don't care about that. And then second of all, I think that there are amazing things to learn. I'm like having the time of my life thinking through the ways that people are processing the way that I've sat down to give information. And so like it brings it to that peer level to do the comment thing. So I'm so glad that you also do that because I feel like that's the like healthiest and coolest way to make use of all that it means to post something educational on a platform mm. like YouTube. Like, yeah, it's no, it's amazing. Really cool. I, I agree. And I, I will say that I love the comments because they are safe for me. I think that we have colleagues where that is not um, a space where I would encourage them to go, even if they're thick-skinned and they've got a lot of um, positive criticism. Because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, Lacey Green, who is a, another sex educator on YouTube, and it is a very scary place in her comments sometimes. But I think the people in my videos right oh they're amazing and yeah. they helped me so much to learn how to be better and to think differently and totally cheer me on oh my gosh oh yeah absolutely and but again it's like I was saying with performing like negative notes are still really useful because again it's like especially if with a sensitive topic and you have um you know, done some form of harm by the way that you were communicating because oh, yeah. you were picking the most efficient way. You went the wrong <laughs> way on the one way, right? And like maybe you really missed, like that was a topic that needed some more nuance and you missed a little of that nuance. And I want to know when I miss that nuance because like the older I get or maybe just the classes I've been taking lately or what I've been thinking about, I'm just realizing that like I do not think anything is binary. Like Everything is in this icky, beautiful gray zone that makes me very anxious but makes me excited at the same time. Luckily, mm. those are similar chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, but just like, I mean, that gray is very hard for me and it has been my whole life and it's just how I'm wired and that's okay. But like I'm kind of trying to do this like embrace the gray situation because I think that especially with topics with wildlife and topics with sex, anything where we have this human component – that has something as complicated as the human brain, like you're not doing justice and it's not a useful heuristic to split to binary. Like it's not a useful heuristic at all. Like it doesn't get you closer. It gets you farther away in certain situations, you know? So like I'm doing the gray. <laughs> I'm trying real hard. <laughs> Makes me anxious, but trying to do it. And I think that people who comment, you know, kindly, even if it is saying that that didn't work, but just are being, you know, kind citizens of the community and commenting and stuff are letting us know, like, that that heuristic failed or that there needs more gray, you know, like, a little bit more nuance, like, make it a little ickier and murkier because that's actually where the truth is, which sucks, but is awesome <laughs> simultaneously, you know. Oh, Brad, it feels so good to hear. I love that you're processing that way and that you're you're aware that you don't like the gray and you need to go toward it. Oh, it is like the most approach avoidant shit I've ever done in my life. <laughs> like, I'm pretty fearless when it comes to anything in the physical realm. 
like I'll jump off things. I mean, whatever. Like I I enjoy large roller coasters. I enjoy generally like I'm a thrill seeking type, you know. But this, yeah, this conceptual, not even real gray area in my head is like scarier than all of those, like anything in the physical realm. Are you going to do a nature league about it? Um, I've been trying to incorporate the gray zone kind of language when I've been making scripts so that it's not just that like biodiversity is good and we should protect it, but actually saying like, okay, so there's like several reasons why you might think biodiversity is good. But there actually might be some reasons or situations for a person that having more species actually is bad for their well-being. Like, mm. And it's not just good-bad. It's not just native and invasive. Like those are not useful. And so I'm not – so I'm not pointing out – like I'm not saying literally like, guys, there's this weird gray area. I'm just trying to use language that intones the fact that it's a mm, – I don't really know. Like, mm-hmm. hey, guys, like here's some pros and some cons. And, like, it's not all perfectly laid out. Um, so I'm trying. I'm trying, like, really hard to do it because I think that I grew up in my education because I got into science so quickly and, like, just, you know, just pounded science, 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 science. I mean, I really did just get to this idea of, like, fact and sorting mm-hmm. that turns out is not the most helpful heuristic, right? And it's never too late to, like, adjust it but it does make me very anxious. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. Use it. I'll try to use it for good. But, I mean, it's got to be the same way. I mean, we see that especially with, um, I mean, things like gender or things with sexuality, like mm-hmm. those those lumping and boxing that are just dumb. Like, it literally just doesn't work. Yep. It's this continuum of icky, beautiful, gray, and, like, we've done ourselves a disservice by using that easy sorting, I guess, is, like, when those... Yeah. Those heuristics don't get there. And I'm sure that like in your work or in your field that that would be something you see a lot, I would guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like so much of my time is spent trying to undo the effects (laughs) of heuristics that is like, okay, penis, that means they act like this. They think like this. (laughs) We're going to get these illnesses attached, right? And so I have to go back in and say, okay, what is it really about yeah. It's not about the penis. And nope. how do I communicate that in a way that isn't yet another heuristic that someone's going to have to clean up later? Yep. That's the biggest thing. I'm like hoping you're not doing harm <laughs> by like, you're like, cool, I erased one, but I added one. Net zero. <laughs> like, Shit. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't know. I it makes me It makes me happy that people like us who enjoy teaching and work in subject areas where there's a lot of gray, get to, like, talk and be a part of the conversation with the platforms that this lovely building encloses. And just, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm just really thankful for that. I, it makes me it makes me happy about moving forward and what it means to, like, communicate in video form, in podcast form, in ways that are different than my PowerPoint in my lecture hall, you know? Yeah. And, like... That's exciting, but I want to do it right. So it's it's striking the balance. And you've been doing – you've been like multiple years, right, for Sexplanations, for at least video format? Yes. This is year five, I think. That's so awesome. Trying. Yeah, I mean, you're doing it. <laughs> totally doing it. <laughs> I can tell you, for me at least, it has become more difficult over the years because I was doing – 
a lot more in my life, kind of where where you're teaching and you've got this and this and theater and all these outside things at the beginning. And to think about doing all of those things now is overwhelming. Sure. I can do Sexplanations YouTube and Sexplanations podcasts, and that's about it. But part of it is because all the information that I had learned or, or experienced I've gone through. Sure. And so now it's doing new research and basically writing a thesis every week of, okay, like, this is all fresh. A lot I, of lit yeah. searching that wasn't necessarily the yeah. what you did the last time, yeah. I mean, you're probably learning a ton, but time consumption yeah. is, like, way I harder. love it. it I, so I think cool. we're really fortunate to get to do what we do. I sure. agree. So want to do kegels? Main squeeze, squeeze it do you know I, what kegels are? Um, I do physiologically. I don't know what your laptop will have to do with it. <laughs> I just <laughs> go on pulling up my laptop because I uh, also want to <laughs> give a shout out to our Patreon supporters on patreon.com slash explanations podcast because they're really special to me and they oh, make yes. this show possible. Um, ben, Donna, Paul, and the Millers. This one's for you. So, um, are they the hot? Are they the hotties? Are they the? They're not the hotties. Um, so, if you haven't been following all this explanations podcast episodes, or I think we even talked about it on a live stream, there were Patreon people who designated themselves hotties because they supplied us with the a heater. space heater, which I was we just going to say thank you because it has also helped me. Yes. <laughs> Generally, yeah. yes. Yeah. Thank you, Patreon patrons. Thank you so much. Yeah, these um, these are our bosses. Oh, awesome. Yes. Um, so Kegels wise, it does not require the computer, though we can <laughs> implement it if you want to. Um <laughs> We just do them as a group, basically. Oh. So we, we lead them and everybody does them each week so that we nice. strengthen and, you know, consciously take care of our bodies. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, do you have an exercise routine that you like? Um, like counting or singing? You, you're you a singer. I was going to say, it's usually like warming up for, like right now I'm in The Little Mermaid, so it's warming up for like being a jellyfish, which has taken a lot on my shoulder. <laughs> so I've been stretching my jelly arm shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking about physically stretching to be a jellyfish. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, but also you do things vocally, too. Okay. Will you do a vocal warm-up that we can do kegels to? Um, probably, yeah. Um, oh, this one would be good because it's rhythmic, right? z he he And then we go up, z he 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 and up, z he 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 and up, z he 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 You can just, you know, yeah. do it on every other. Well, I mean, I got beat, them right? all in. And nice. it felt like my vagina is now in my face. It looks great on you. <laughs> it's a good look I for you. I like I squeezed it up higher and higher every time you went up. That's yeah. what the larynx does, too, which is the... As you make higher pitches, like, there's structural changes that happen in your throat that move higher, too. Uh, so I guess my vocal warm-up has significantly changed now. I can't wait to get to the show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. We may. Do you mind if we kept that on record and then played it maybe in uh, future Kegel workouts? Oh, my gosh. Totally. I can literally supply a million <laughs> vocal warm-ups for kegels that would be amazing that'd be the most hysterical crossover of things in my life yeah 
<laughs> yep, Brit's Patreon perk for all of you. <laughs> We're going to get her to do vocal warm-ups that you can do your kegels to. So my favorite with little kids is pizza is great. Can't believe how many pieces that I ate. But it'd be kegels are great. Can't believe how many squeezes that I made. Make. Hmm. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. But there's something there. There's something there. I'm so happy right now. Oh, well done. Well done. Well done. One last task. Yes. Um, we're going to do sex to credit homework. Now you can practice at home. Dr. Doe gives you sex to credit. So basically nice. giving them an assignment that they get to do in between this podcast that they're listening to now and the next time they check in with us. That's awesome. Is it something they need to research or do actively? Or, Anything. Um, so I would say find... And I think three is fair because I think they happen all the time. Find three things as they happen whenever in this time that challenge your assumptions and proved you wrong about something. Even if it's super small, like where you thought you left your keys or something big, which is like what you assume that your partner or if you're a teacher, your student, whatever that relationship is uh, that they needed and maybe they didn't. But I challenge you to find three assumptions that you've had that get broken or changed or nuanced in some way perfect that's perfect i like it thanks for being on the podcast thank you guys so so much thank you yeah you're great i appreciate it thank you also to callie from cinema studios for the sound and uh editing and you know laughing with us Yay. keeping us in check uh to complexly for <laughs> making sure Everything. that we get paid <laughs> for all of the things <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> and to Count Boogie for the jingles. Uh, somehow, hopefully, you'll get to work with Brit's voice and make us a, a new one. And Cora and Parle, I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs>